Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This podcast contains graphic content and may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. True North True Crime is produced on the territories of the Coast Salish people. Yeah, Cole just has a really big heart and he is rough around the edges sometimes, but he is would do anything to help anybody and his children are like the greatest thing in the world to him. So I think that first and foremost, Cole is a dad and that's when he'll tell everybody and that he loves his little boy more than anything in the world and his sister and his son that just passed. But yeah, just that he would have done anything for anybody in his family, always. 24-year-old Cole Hosack needed a fresh start. 2023 had not been kind to him or his family. They had endured multiple losses within the family, including the death of Cole's son, who was born prematurely. Cole's relationship had also hit a rough patch, and so a decision was made to move to a new town and start a new job. Cole's journey from where he had been living in Prince George to his new home in Medicine Hat began in late December of 2023. However, Cole would never arrive in Medicine Hat. During a brief detour in the city of Dawson Creek on New Year's Eve 2023, Cole went missing. Tonight, we are shedding light on the disappearance of Cole Hosack, and you are listening to True North True Crime. and welcome to True North True Crime. Thanks so much for listening. We have a case this week that has been requested so many times on all of our platforms, so to everyone who reached out, we appreciate you. We were lucky enough to connect with Cole Hosack's mother, Julie, to create this episode, so you'll be hearing her voice throughout the episode as we feel it's imperative to include family members' voices when possible. We also spoke with Morgan, who had been in a long-term relationship with Cole before his disappearance. Before we even get started, we want to thank Julie for sitting down with us to help us and our audience get to know her son, Cole, as well as for trusting us to tell his story. We also want to thank Morgan and various other members of the Dawson Creek community, including the mayor, for reaching out to us to provide information and context for this episode. Before we dive in, we have an additional content warning of child loss. All right, let's go ahead and get right into this week's episode. 
As we mentioned in the intro to this episode, this case takes place in the city of Dawson Creek, British Columbia. Located in the northeast of BC, essentially on the Alberta border, Dawson Creek has a population of around 13,000 people. From its humble beginnings as a small farming community, Dawson Creek transformed when the Northern Alberta Railway stretched its tracks to the western terminus in 1932. This turned the town into a regional hub. And fast forward to 1942, when the U.S. Army utilized the rail terminus for transshipment during the Alaska Highway construction. This led to a boom in the community's growth. The 1950s brought even more connectivity, with Dawson Creek becoming linked to the interior of British Columbia through a network of highways and railways carving through the stunning Rocky Mountains. Although growth cooled off a bit after the swinging 60s, the area's population has steadily risen, marking a unique journey from its agricultural roots to a vibrant regional center. Situated in the dry and windy prairies, Dawson Creek is often referred to as the capital of the peace, referring to the area of British Columbia it's located in, known as the Peace River Country. Some also call it Mile Zero City, as the Alaska Highway's southernmost point is Dawson Creek. When it comes to the economy in Dawson Creek, its major industries are agriculture, natural resources like oil and gas, services and trades, and of course, tourism. According to AreaVibes.com, Dawson Creek has a dark side that we will dive deeper into later in this episode, but I think it's a good time for a couple of stats. Dawson Creek boasts an eye-opening 154% higher total crime rate than the national average, as well as a 91% higher rate when it comes to violent crime. The increase in violent crime in recent years has been a big point of discussion both locally and when it comes to the case we are talking about today. As this is a recent case, there wasn't much information online about Cole. So to help us get to know him as a person, we asked his mom, Julie, to share with us about her son. First, we asked about Cole's early life and what it was like. So Cole was actually born in McLennan, Alberta, which is a couple hours north or east of Dawson Creek. But he was born there and we lived there for a couple of years before moving to Legale, Alberta. And he grew up, uh, we were there for... Oh gosh, I'd have to sit. I can't for a little for a length of time. Um, Cole played hockey there. They he has two siblings, so we he they were very active in the hockey. Uh, so our lives were pretty chaotic when it came to hockey because all three of the kids played together. Um, and Legal being a small town, it was a we had the neighborhood kids all over all the time. Our house was kind of like the local hangout, and you could tell our kids played hockey because our garage door was an embarrassment. Uh, it had puck dents everywhere. It was awful. They made fun of it at the hockey meetups that we had at the end of the year parties. But so they spent this whole life like in a small town growing up. Uh, we did eventually move to Fort McMurray. I believe Cole was like, I think we moved there in 2010, which Cole would have been about 11, 10 or 11 when we moved there. Um, and we stayed there for quite a few years until we lost our home and uh, for, during the wildfires in Fort McMurray and then kind of moved on to southern Alberta and went out to Cochrane because we're avid mountain lovers. So we've done our lives were basically re- revolved around hockey, uh, neighborhood kids, um, obviously work. I was a single mom for the most part, uh, raising the three kids on my own, uh, doing a hockey thing and a working thing. And and so, yeah, and when we had some free time, we spent a lot of time in the mountains. Um just enjoying ourselves exploring and Cole was definitely a lover of that kind of thing. And he was the one that was home with me probably the most. Uh, so we were pretty, pretty close. So our family life, I would say was 
a good, like obviously probably not perfect. Like anyone, or no one's would be, uh, but it was, uh, it wasn't bad. Like most typical kids who grew up in smaller communities surrounded by wilderness, Cole's early life revolved around two things that make Canada great, hockey and the great outdoors. Julie told us more about Cole as a young boy and the joys of having multiple kids enrolled in hockey. He was super quiet when he was young, not talkative at all. He, I, For the first three years of his life, I was like, I thought he was mute because he didn't speak, but he ate a lot. Uh, so he enjoyed eating. Uh, and then when he got into hockey, it was even worse, the eating part. Oh, my God, those boys like ate me out of house and home. But he was a he was a good kid. Um, he was very he's a huge hockey lover. So there was my God, 10. I think he played for 14 years between yeah 14 15 years we played hockey and it was like six o'clock in the morning practices and tournaments like 500 600 kilometers away and and he was good he yeah he was good and then he started talking and didn't stop talking (laughs) typical for many of us the things we enjoyed in our childhood get left behind once we enter high school and the same rang true for cole well then he became a real boy and mischievous and you know, getting himself into like not lots of trouble, but boy things. I don't know. Like I feel so hockey kind of fell off the radar when he was about, I think he was about 16. And then it was more friends and video games and causing his mom heart failure some days. (laughs) Like most children, I would assume, I feel like it's pretty normal, but he was not a bad teenager, but he, yeah, he did give me a run for my money sometimes. Cole's life changed forever when he was 20 years old. He and his girlfriend at the time welcomed a child into their lives, a son, Bentley. We asked Julie to tell us about Cole's life as he transitioned from teenager into adult. So Cole and Cole had his son Bentley when he was like 20, 20, I guess. 20, Bentley will be three. So about 20 is when they he his girlfriend had gotten pregnant and they had their son Bentley. And so Cole's been like equipment operating. He's kind of experimented. I think he was having like a hard time deciding what he wanted to do. Like, I feel like I still don't myself know what I want to do when I grow up. Uh, Like, so it was like hard. I don't know. So he's done equipment operating. He's been working in mines. Like, it's kind of like he's taken, I work in mining myself. So um, I feel like it's something that he's gone into and he's tried different avenues of that, mostly like laboring and then equipment operating and it was some kind of form of mining career and I think he was just really trying to find his place and what he wanted to do so I don't think he had that figured out yet. I'm sure many of us can relate to that it's not always easy trying to figure out our purpose or which direction we want to follow in life. Our early 20s are all about exploring different parts of ourselves to hope that we can discover our path. Also typical of someone in their early 20s Cole had big hopes and dreams and was maybe a little bit naive when it came to how quickly those aspirations would actually come to fruition. Here's Julie with more on that. Oh, of course. He wanted to travel. He wanted to own a house. His new latest thing was this fancy Nespresso machine. (laughs) I don't know where it comes from sometimes as kids, but he, of course, had big goals like that, wanting to travel the world and like own a house and have a steady job, but he didn't really know what he wanted to do. So, of course, and maybe going back to school and talking about taking a trade, but at the same time, not knowing exactly what that looked like for him at that point. Yeah. I think it's growing up in Fort McMurray. uh, Sometimes I think it was a curse. Uh, 
being a single mom, obviously, I was the only one working, uh, not really much help. Well, none from their father. Um, so I had to make enough money to raise three kids, be able to pay all the bills, all of these kinds of things. So when we moved to Fort McMurray, that was the intention of moving there because in Alberta, if you want to make money, you go to Fort McMurray. Uh, being that I was a single mom and the kids were all young, I didn't want to remote do remote work. Um, so we moved, I moved everybody up there. But in that same breath, so they grew up having most of everything they wanted, like probably not everything, but what kid does, like we all want everything when we're young. Um, he also, his friends he grew up with all grew up with money. So all parents just throwing money around, like, and we work a lot up there, which is why we make money, but you're sacrificing time for dollars. And I don't think the kids realize the value of that. So I, when Cole was going into the workforce, he, I think assumed everybody just starts their career making a hundred thousand dollars a year. And I was like, that is not reality <laughs> because before I moved to Fort McMurray, I was making 30,000 a year and I couldn't like, we were barely making it. That is not like the reality for most people. They don't make a hundred thousand a year and you're not going to make that at 18. <laughs> and you know what? It's very possible. And it gives you opportunities are available in Fort McMurray. If you, obviously are in the mining industry are in oil and gas and all of these things, but you also just don't start there. You start at the bottom and you're your way up. Like we all have as working individuals. So I just think it, while it provided us to be able to live comfortably, it's also created some unrealistic expectations of like the kids and what that looked like. So I think that was also part of his struggle with not knowing what he wanted to do. Cause he's like, well, I'm only making like $30 an hour. I'm like, yeah, but you're like 19. <laughs> like who does like, you should be happy with $30 an hour. Oh yeah. So while Cole's maybe a little overly optimistic about what finances and earnings would look like as someone entering the workforce in another area of his life that was of paramount importance to him, he was wiser than his years. Cole was an excellent father to his own son, as well as another child his girlfriend had from a previous relationship. Now, I want to insert here that we talked to a lot of people about Cole, and they all shared the same sentiment about how excellent of a father he is. Wherever he was at the time in his life, he would always make time to talk to his kids. At his core, Cole is a family man. Here's Julie with more on her thoughts on watching Cole in his role as a dad. So him and Bentley's mom were together for years, yeah, and she actually had another daughter, so Cole took her in as his own, um, even when they split up, because they are split up and they co-parent very well. But even when Cole and, and, and his ex had split up, he was still, when, when he would take his son, would take uh, the daughter as well, because she he's been the only kind of father figure in her life. So Cole was very active in her life still to this day. So, oh God, he's so good. And, and it blows my mind because he didn't really have one, like a, a one as a model or, or to know what to do. But I think that's why he was such a good dad was that he had, because of what he lacked, he didn't never want his son to lack that. They were like the best of friends. It's, uh, yeah, they had a really special bond. Or I shouldn't say had, but you know what I mean. They have a very special bond. Now that we've learned a little bit about Cole and what he is like as a person at various stages throughout his life, we wanted to get into what was going on in his life in the months leading up to his disappearance. To say that 2023 was a difficult year for Cole and his family is an understatement. Julie gave us the details. We'll go back to like 
April 2023. So Cole's sister, Taylor, had lost her son. So he was 20 months old and he went to sleep at day home and never woke up again. So that started off the that 2023 not very well. So my daughter's struggling. Cole was struggling with that, obviously. Um, and then in July, my significant other was diagnosed with stage four colorectal cancer. So we're battling cancer and he was given like three months to live. Um, and then in October, Cole and his, him and Morgan had gotten pregnant. Uh, they were living in Fort McMurray and that's where Cole's son lives with his mom. Um, and they were all co-parenting very well. Morgan was pregnant. And during the pregnancy, we had found out pretty early on that there was going to be some significant, uh, issues with the baby, heart issues. Um, and so baby was born eight weeks early. He was born October 25th and had four open heart surgeries, I believe in the first seven days. And then he passed away on November 2nd. So they had lost their child. Um, in between getting pregnant and having the baby, because we knew that the baby was going to be significantly sick, even if he lived, that they would have to live near Edmonton so that they could be close to a children's hospital. So they were in the midst of moving, but baby came early. So they were not completely moved. Um, then they had the baby and they were living in the hospital. We all were pretty much, and the baby passed. So, uh, we had baby cremated. Um, and then Morgan decided she wanted to go be with family in Prince George. So, after and it wasn't that they were moving there i think it was just more of a she needed to be near family and cole was okay with that so they went there um and then it, in the beginning of oh like no uh december 20th uh cole and morgan had split up they they were on and off for the last couple years like it's i don't i would say more off than on like every time i turned around they were splitting up or fighting about something and I would assume like losing a child because uh, now I'm experiencing what both of my children have experienced this year um, is obviously tragic and people need to deal with that and if you don't I think that obviously causes a lot of issues and I just I don't know what caused the breakup but that's what pushed Cole to leave so Cole wanted a fresh start uh, he was moving to Medicine Hat he was going to work there uh, and he was going to start over and it was going to be like a fresh start for him to like work on having lost his son, but he wanted to just something fresh to start new and maybe move in a different direction. So I think that's why he was splitting up because the, the splitting up and getting together, the splitting up and getting together, nothing was changing. It was constantly the same. And I think he wanted away from that. And that was going to be his fresh start. We asked Morgan, Cole's girlfriend, what life was like for Cole in the time leading up to his disappearance and a little bit about what was going on in their relationship at the time as well. She let us know that the two had a disagreement in December of 2023 and that the pair did have a relationship that included ups and downs, but they always came back to each other and that they didn't go long without speaking. Here's a quote from Morgan. Quote, our son's passing really impacted Cole. He took it extremely hard, as any father would, losing their weak old baby, and this was his first time going back to work since Hendrix had been born. Navigating this loss took a toll on our relationship, and we had a really tough time for about a month or so. It tested us and our strength as a couple for sure. We made a promise to be better for us and our kids, to not let losing our boy wreck us. 
to listen to each other, to be there for one another, and never let ourselves forget what matters. Always being a strong couple, no matter what life throws us. And there have been some curveballs, let me tell you. Fast ones. So to recap here, by mid-December 2023, Cole was ready for a clean slate. He had experienced more hardship than one person should have to endure in a calendar year. So Cole decided that he was going to make a relatively big move from Prince George, British Columbia to Medicine Hat, Alberta, and start a brand new job on January 5th, 2024. A close friend of Cole's offered to drive him to Medicine Hat, and this friend's name was Shelby. Here's Julie with more about why they ended up in Dawson Creek. Okay, so Cole's last job, which was seasonal, like he worked at a mine uh, in southern BC, um, a tech for a contract company, obviously. Um, and he was going to go back to work there eventually because it was uh, they were off at certain periods of the between when winter started and when spring came up. So his friend Shelby, who he's really close with, because um, Cole didn't have a vehicle at the time, they had vehicle issues anyways he's kind of in a bad spot like the whole year had just been like not great for Cole and that's why I think the starting over was so important but so Shelby came and picked him up she lives in Crow's Nest Pass and she worked with him at uh at the mine um so she drove all the way from Crow's Nest Pass to Prince George but Shelby grew up in Dawson and doesn't obviously get out here as often probably as she wants to so she wanted to stop and see her family on their way through to Medicine Hat so they kind of took a little bit of a detour and came and stayed in Dawson for a couple days and and Cole vanished. We asked Morgan if she and Cole had been in touch during the time he was in Dawson Creek. She states, The days leading up to his disappearance, he was just visiting around Dawson. They went to the windmills. He sent me photos. They went to a bar a couple of times. New Year's Eve was not Cole's first time stepping foot into the Lone Star. I spoke to Cole all day, every day that he was in Dawson. I was with him the night he left Prince George. The night that he left for Dawson Creek, we were sleeping and his alarm went off to be picked up. Anyone who knows Cole knows he isn't waking up to no alarm. I remember thinking I shouldn't even wake him up. I don't want him to go. His friend Shelby was going through Dawson on her way to work in Alberta to spend some time with her family, as she's originally from there, but has since relocated. She told Cole that she would take him to his new job in Medicine Hat after she spent two to three days in Dawson visiting family, and if he wanted a ride, he could come. Cole was on his way to a well-testing job in Medicine Hat. He has worked with Shelby in the past, and they are friends, so he went. So Shelby had gotten to Prince George and picked him up at 2.30 a.m. He was excited to go to work. He told me, quote, Please let me go get our life back. Have some hope and faith and don't give up on me, and that he was going to take care of our family, his son, me, our dogs. I was sad because he was leaving, and I kept telling him to turn around and come back. I remember texting him and telling him, I feel like I'm never going to see you again. It was December 31st, 2023, when Cole and his friend Shelby were in Dawson Creek to spend their New Year's Eve in town. At some point, a decision was made to head to the Lone Star Nightlife Establishment. Now, from what we could ascertain from speaking to various folks who live in Dawson Creek, 
The Lone Star is actually a strip club from Monday to Friday, but on Saturdays they open as a nightclub. We've heard from multiple people that as women, they don't feel safe going to this establishment anymore. If they do go, there's rules in place. Never leave your friend alone and always travel in pairs. Morgan gave us a little more insight into Cole's evening on December 31st. So before going to the Lone Star, Cole and the group of people he was with that night had gone to Spike's Pub. And before going out to either of those bars, they had been at one of Shelby's friends' houses. It's really important to keep in mind that it's only been one month into the investigation of Cole's disappearance, so the details that have been made publicly available are relatively scarce at this time to ensure the integrity of the investigation. We do not have the exact arrival time to the Lone Star on December 31st, but we do know that a significant event took place between 11.30pm and 12.20am. There were multiple reports of some sort of fight breaking out at the Lone Star. Now, exactly what this fight looked like has been difficult to ascertain. Some make suggestions of physical violence, whereas others say it was more of a verbal altercation. We hope that the truth of what did go down in the Lone Star that night is brought to light eventually, and perhaps that CCTV footage can be shared at a later date so the public can be of even more assistance when it comes to potentially identifying persons of interest. Now, at some point during their time at the Lone Star, Cole went out for a smoke and then returned to Shelby inside. Morgan provides more insight during this point in the timeline. The night of his disappearance, he and I talked and had been talking that whole night. We FaceTimed at 11.18 p.m. BC time, which is 12.18 a.m. Dawson time. He was in the vehicle having a smoke. He told me Happy New Year and that he would see me in a couple of days when he got to Medicine Hat. I would come to visit him there. He was annoyed that I went out with my friends, but he was bugging me like he usually does when he's like that. He said he was going inside to give Shelby her keys back and that he would text me when he got home. He told me he loved me and went inside. I never got a text telling me that he was home safe, and he told Bentley he would call him in the morning. He never did. So upon Cole's return from outside the Lone Star, Shelby then went out for a smoke. But when she returned back inside the nightclub to find Cole, he was nowhere to be found. She assumed that he may have gone to the bathroom or maybe met someone, but initially she didn't panic. Here's Julie with what she knows about that night. Honestly, I feel like nothing. I feel like I've gone so many different versions of something. And because it's an active investigation and as frustrating as that is for like me or everybody else that's loves Cole, we, they can't tell us everything right now. So what I know is they went to the Lone Star. Uh, they were having drinks. I know Cole wasn't drunk by any means. That's what like everyone that was there with him said. Um, I've heard there was a fight in the bar. Uh, so the police did tell me that there was an altercation outside the bar. And when they said altercation, what they can see on the video is that no one's fighting, but they must be, I'm assuming yelling at each other. Yeah. So that's it, though. Like, I've got, like, nothing else. We asked Julie to provide additional details about the alleged altercation that occurred inside the Lone Star that night. I was just going to say, and there was a lady that was in the bar that had messaged me, like, right after Cole went missing, saying that she was sitting at the table behind him and there was a, a fight in the bar that started. And it had nothing to do with Cole. And she was sitting at the table behind Cole. And that this random guy on the dance floor was, like, punching people out and ended up punching this girl's dad at the table and Cole got involved because Cole is like one of those guys that 
I wish would keep his nose out of other people's business sometimes. But anyways, so he got involved. I don't know how extensive that fight was. Uh, she doesn't mention it in the message she sent me. She just said that he was like, just got involved because this guy was randomly just punching anybody. Now, the knowledge that there was some sort of altercation in the bar that night is obviously a point of interest for both law enforcement and as well as the general public. An altercation that happened before a person went missing raises concerns that they may be connected. The police are asking anyone with information about this fight or anyone who witnessed anything inside or outside of the Lone Star on December 31st, 2023 to come forward and speak with them. And here at the podcast, we want to extend a heartfelt plea to anyone who may be listening to this episode that hasn't already come forward to the police who might be able to shed even the smallest bit of information to assist the investigation. Sometimes it can just be the most mundane fact that can help lead police down the path that ultimately results in the answer that people are so desperately waiting for. So please get in touch with the Dawson Creek RCMP at 250-785-3700. That's 3700. So getting back to how the rest of the night played out, here's Julie with more about what happened when Shelby went back into the bar after she went out for a smoke. Well, I know that Shelby, case there was two other ladies with them, I don't know who they are, that were there, older ladies. Um, So I believe when Shelby came back in the bar, what I was told is the two ladies wanted to leave. So Shelby drove them home and then came back and Cole was still not there because she assumed, I think, assumed that Cole might have been in the bathroom. At the when she had first come in from the smoke and she had tried calling him and trying to get a hold of him, but he wasn't answering. And then he just, yeah, when she came back, like she was gone for maybe five minutes and came back and there was he still wasn't there. We asked Julie who initially reported Cole missing. Shelby. Well, she wasn't drinking, so she was a DD. Uh she I would have to go back and read all the messages, but like nothing stood out, like in terms of like nothing that she sent me has stood out. And she's the one that reported Cole missing. Like it was like there was a the argument and then uh, Cole went out for a smoke and he came back in and uh, she went out for a smoke. And when she came back in, he was gone. So which makes no sense because like it's not like there's doors everywhere. So I don't know how he would just like disappear. Like, Yeah. I asked Julie if she knew if Cole had left anything behind in the bar indicating he was planning on returning. She told us that his sweater was left inside the premises, but his wallet and phone were not in the bar. Cole's phone has since been recovered. Here's Julie with more on that. And they ended up finding his phone behind the TD bank a couple days later. They didn't find it there. The guy who found it or says he found it, uh, said he found it behind the TD bank. And whoever found it went home and plugged the phone in and it turned on. And when it turned on, it pinged all of our phones because we were had his find my phone on to try. And we were all like, oh my God. And then we sent the pins to the police and they went and retrieved his phone from whoever had it. And I don't know who this person is. They have not divulged any of that information. So to be clear here, this man didn't find this phone and immediately turn it into police. Cole's phone was powered on in the days after his disappearance, and because his loved ones were aware that he was missing and frantically trying to locate Cole, they had been pinging his phone via Find My iPhone. So when this person powered on the phone, it sent everyone alerts as to where it was located. On January 5th, police went to the address it was pinging from, where they were able to locate the man who was in possession of the phone, he says, 
He found it near the TD Bank, which is just a block away from the Lone Star Nightlife Bar. We don't have any further information about who this person is and how truthful they are being about how they came to be in possession of the phone. Police have confirmed that the last time Cole's phone was used was at 12.30 a.m. on the night he went missing. They have also confirmed that there has been no activity on any of Cole's bank accounts since he disappeared. We asked Julie what she knows about how the rest of that night played out for Shelby. As we can imagine, it would be relatively concerning that you can't find your friend who isn't from the area. Yeah, I think she went home right away. I think maybe she assumed that Cole was found a girl. I don't know. And the problem for me is like I she reported him missing like in the morning of January 1st. So I think she went home and then when Cole didn't come back, like she called and reported him missing. We're now going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And we are back. So let's get into what we know about the investigation and the searches to find Cole Hosack. Shelby reported Cole missing the day after their night out, which was January 1st, 2024. From what Julie told us, it doesn't seem like law enforcement was immediately all boots on the ground. Cole is a young adult male, and it was the day after New Year's Eve, so it's understandable as to why police would maybe hold off on a massive response. But as the days went on and Cole had not been in touch with any of his loved ones, the investigation picked up. We asked Julie about the early days of the investigation, and Julie describes a frustrating and chaotic time. Julie is legally Cole's direct family member or technically next of kin. However, there were times when information was coming from the investigators to other people who were not Julie. There were also times when people were communicating with the RCMP in a combative way, and they were being inundated with questions. This led to things feeling disorganized, a too many cooks in the kitchen type thing. This is a major takeaway for people of the importance of having a single point of contact with investigators. Keep in mind there is no playbook for how to navigate the challenges of having a missing loved one, and often people are reacting from a place of shock or trauma. But Julie has since clarified her role and is now the contact person when communicating with the RCMP. So like I was actually a little bit appalled at the beginning, because uh, I don't think they started looking for him for the first couple of days. 
like extensively until we all start recalling and recalling. And in their defense at the beginning, there was multiple ones of us calling in to ask about coal and to see what was going on. And I think at the beginning, because I don't think that maybe people were being nicest to them at the RCMP at the beginning, I think they were having, like, they were struggling with all of this and the relationship's gotten much better. There is, I am in contact with one con or one corporal. That's who I do all my communications with. Um, I'm the one that calls them. I, I don't call every day because I don't need an update every day, but I do call every couple of days. And if I don't call, they call and just say, yes, we're still working on this. It's still very much an active case. And, and they've brought in, uh, they brought in a team from Prince George because they're struggling here, like with resources and not having enough resources because obviously it's a small town. So they only have so much, right? Um, so they have teams in from their head office in Prince George trying to help out with like the case and going through hundreds of hours of CCTV footage because what they did at the beginning was get video footage from every business in town to try and create a timeline as to where Cole, if he's seen anywhere else other than the bar, um, what direction he's going. I don't still have that timeline, um, except for like knowing what he's like, what the press release says about him being seen at the bar. Uh, so I know that they're working diligently. I think at first we were having not great communication and I, and we've resolved that. And there's been a lot of frustration and there's been times where I've called them frustrated, maybe not being as nice as I should be. And I, I've apologized for that, but I know they understand, but I don't, I definitely, I keep hearing lots of bad things about the RCMP here. And I don't, I think they're doing the best they can for us right now. And I don't know how that is for the other families, but I'm not about to say anything bad about them. And I think they're giving this case all they can and that they're going to figure something out. In the weeks that Cole has been missing, multiple searches have been organized and carried out in the Dawson Creek area. The first official one happened on January 15th after one that had been planned for January 7th was called off due to concern from the RCMP about contaminating the scene where Cole was last seen, as well as brutal weather conditions in the area. The weather on January 15th wasn't exactly pleasant for the search party either. There was a high temperature that day of minus 23 with a low of minus 35. So to everyone involved in that search, thank you for braving those conditions to help Julie and everyone else find some answers. The next organized search happened on the weekend of January 27th and 28th, which was actually when we spoke to Julie at length for this episode. Here's Julie with more about the search efforts that have taken place thus far. At the very beginning, when I finally got back to Alberta and was able to finally get to Dawson, which was like, oh my God, I think like five days, excuse me, five days in, like I don't, yeah, five days in, we came to town and start, we're doing our own, like my family and myself, like walking around, looking in the areas that are, that we could think of that because we just wanted to do something. And I feel because like we don't, there is no rule book as family members, like you just, you can't just sit there. And so you're like, well, we're going to go search, but none of us know where to search, but we're just starting somewhere. Um, so the first search was last Monday, like January 15th, first official search. We'd been searching prior to that ourselves, but like, so we've done most of town and that search happened when it was like minus 30 and we did it on a Monday and it was our first official search. And it took a lot of prep because 
just trying to understand like what we need to do to get a search going. Like, how do we do this? Like, do we need a place to set up like all of these things. And so we, my brother and his partner are wonderful humans. So they've done a lot of work. They were helping me and we found locations and we got things donated and we got radios and we gridded off some maps and, and we went ahead and did the search on that, on that January 15th. And we got about 26 people, which is really great for it being like minus 30. Um, but most of the people were like friends. Uh, there was a couple members that were from Dawson Creek, but we were having a really hard time getting people from here involved. Um, and throughout this whole ordeal since the beginning, like I've gotten multiple messages from people saying that they're terrified of what is going on and they don't want to be, um, they don't want to be there. They just don't want to get themselves into trouble. And I think people feel like um, that might them coming to help us might lead to them being in trouble, like with all of the other chaos that's going on in Dawson Creek. So my main goal at the beginning was to like try and continue to tell everyone that Cole wasn't from here, that Cole isn't part of this gang life. Like this isn't, I don't believe this is the same as the other cases because this is very random. Like Cole's never been here. So trying to, just trying to, make people feel more comfortable with wanting to share. Like I would get messages. I wouldn't even get to read the message and people were deleting them. So it's like people want to say something, but people don't want to say something and they don't want their names associated with anything. And which is okay. Like the last thing I would want is to make anyone feel uncomfortable or, or feel like they would be in danger. But that's a lot of what we faced at the beginning. At the beginning, Cole's Facebook group had about three people from Dawson Creek. And now I'm like happy to say it's one of the top five cities of people that are involved in the group, which is great. And most of our volunteers now are from town. And so being so that first search was great. We covered a lot of ground in town, uh, like creeks and parks and everywhere that we wanted to go. And we did have a gentleman with a drone that went through the parks with a drone and and was working with Wings of Mercy uh, for their software uh, to detect things on the ground. I really know I'm not technical, so I don't know what they were doing. But um, so there was someone that went out a couple days and uh, and now this big search. So because we drive, like I said, we're like a thousand kilometers away. So every time we're driving out to Dawson, it's about ten, it's a 10 hour drive. It costs a significant amount of money for hotels, which the state bridge has been wonderful and they've been giving us discounted rates and they've actually offered discounted rates to anybody that's coming in to do the searches, uh, which has been wonderful, but still like these searches are costing extensive amounts of money, uh, and time. And not that I would give all of my time to find my son. That's not it at all. But so, but this search yesterday, I'm happy to say that we had probably almost 60 people. And today we're at 37 people and, a gentleman had come in and told us that they had 30 quads out in one area. So there's people looking and we're covering a lot of ground this time. And because we're, because we joined forces, I think as well with the, the girls family, which I think was important um, because they needed the help too. Like, I just feel like we said, nobody knows what to do when you have a missing loved one. And we just kind of started like doing everything. And social media was our biggest thing at the beginning. And we had a big network. So we would like, plastering it we did poster campaigns all over like coal is on billboards in Fort McMurray and in Grand Prairie and so we were just trying to just get coal out there as much as possible just to make sure that everyone knew and everybody was looking and I had companies saying they were printing out his posters and giving it to their mechanics who go out to lease roads and 
just uh, all kinds of wonderful things. So this weekend, we've covered a lot of ground. We haven't found anything. Um, like, again, like I said earlier, we want to find something, but we don't want to find something. So you might have just noticed that Julie mentions joining forces with other people who are looking for who Julie referred to as the girls. Cole Hosack is not the only person to have gone missing from Dawson Creek in recent months. 29-year-old Darylin Supernant has been missing since March 15, 2023. Darylin is an indigenous woman standing 5 foot 9 and 119 pounds with black hair and brown eyes. In the RCMP press release, they stated that they believe she may still be in the Dawson Creek area. In a statement given to CJDC-TV News, Darylin's father Brad said his daughter was involved in a high-risk lifestyle, and a Dawson Creek constable added, quote, We are aware that Darylin was involved in a high-risk lifestyle. We don't know if that's directly related to her disappearance at this time. Again, we're always seeking more information. Later in 2023, in December, Darylin's cousin Renee Didier, who also sometimes uses the last name Supernant, would also go missing. Renee is a 40-year-old Indigenous woman who stands 5 foot 10 inches tall, is 120 pounds with brown hair and brown eyes. She also has a floral tattoo on her right shoulder. The initial RCMP release from December 8, 2023 states, On December 7, 2023, Renee was reported missing to the Dawson Creek RCMP by her friends and family. Renee is also known to use the last name Supernant. She was last seen in Dawson Creek on December 2, 2023. Renee has not had contact with her friends or family since, which is out of character for her. Not mentioned in that official release from RCMP was that Renee was initially last seen leaving the Lone Star Nightlife establishment. But on December 13th, 2023, the police had an update. They had footage of Renee at a gas station in the early morning hours of December 3rd, 2023. Stills of this footage were released to the public in hopes of garnering new tips from anyone who may have seen her or recognized her from these CCTV footage clips. There are some online rumors and misinformation concerning these cases that all of the missing individuals had last been seen at the Lone Star. We want to clear that up by saying yes, Cole was last seen at the Lone Star and Renee was also seen at the Lone Star leading up to her disappearance. But the last known sighting of Renee was at that gas station, which is nearby the Lone Star. Darylin is not connected to the Lone Star as far as we are aware. So the searches that took place on January 27th and 28th in Dawson Creek were the three families of these missing individuals coming together to pool their resources. A common thread that we hear when speaking to the families of missing people is that no one tells you what to do when your loved one disappears. There's no handbook. And a lot of the time, these families are left to figure out what to do on their own. It was heartening to witness Cole's family join forces with Renee and Dara Lynn's families, combining their resources and offering each other mutual support. There's also another recent missing person in the Dawson Creek area who we haven't touched upon yet. And his name is Dave Daniel Domingo. His case is a little bit different than the others, as it looks like the police do believe that foul play is involved in Dave's case. On August 29, 2023, in an area just north of Dawson Creek, shots rang out. Very little has been released or made public, but we will read directly from the RCMP press release. Police now can confirm that we are dealing with a possible shooting. However, no victims or deceased have been located. The North District Major Crime Unit are now leading the investigation and are on the scene, processing evidence. Investigators are speaking to anyone who may have been in the area and associated with the property. 
Preliminary efforts have been made to contact anyone believed to be in the area around the time the shots were heard. However, a 24-year-old man has not been located and is now considered missing. Police are seeking the public's assistance in locating Dave Daniel Domingo. He is described as a Filipino male, 5'9", 240 pounds with brown eyes and short brown hair. We appreciate that there are significant rumors and speculation within the community given the police presence and the investigative work underway. While we have been able to determine that we are likely dealing with a shooting, we have nothing to indicate at this time that there is an ongoing threat to the greater public or reason for concern. This does appear to be a concerning, however isolated incident, said Corporal Madonna Saunderson, BCRCMP Communications. If you have seen Dave, or you know Dave, or his whereabouts, call the Dawson Creek RCMP at 250-784-3700. If you're anything like us, you might be thinking to yourself, what the hell is going on in Dawson Creek? Why are so many people going missing? There has been an uptick in incidents of street-level crime, gang activity, and shootings in the area. The mayor of Dawson Creek, Darcy Dober, even made a plea hoping to address the ongoing crime in the community. As a result of this plea, an increase in police presence has been initiated, and Darcy Dober said this increase is both welcome and appreciated. There's a lot of finger-pointing among community leaders going on as to what is directly to blame for this increase in crime. No one is quite able to pinpoint any one thing. Some blame the province's drug decriminalization pilot project or the federal bail reform policy, stating, These people have addiction issues, and now we are seeing the turf war to see who can supply them with drugs. There's a major concern as Dawson Creek is not a big city with endless resources for the unhoused or for people struggling with addiction. But what is clear is that the citizens of Dawson Creek are scared, which has been a big barrier for Julie Hosack in getting information or even assistance from locals. We reached out to the mayor of Dawson Creek, Darcy Dober, for a statement, and here's what he had to say. Quote, I'd like to extend my sympathies to Cole's family and loved ones during this difficult time. It's never easy as the mayor to hear about a situation like this, whether it's one of our own residents or a visitor like Cole. There have been concerns voiced in the community over the past few months since Cole went missing, and the role I have as mayor is to continue to reassure our community that we, the city, are in constant contact with our local RCMP detachment. We are always looking at ways together that we can advocate for our city in regards to resources. There are still additional RCMP members and units here assisting our local members, and we are working towards finding answers. And we are grateful for the extra assistance. We are keeping Cole and his family and friends in our thoughts daily. We also made a post in the Missing Cole Hosack Facebook group asking for locals to tell us a bit about the ongoing change in their community. And here are some quotes from anonymous sources who reached out to us. Quote, It's insane. It's gone from a place I would let my kids walk around downtown in the afternoon by themselves to they can't go anywhere on their own. I don't feel safe going anywhere by myself. Even in Walmart, I watch my back and I'm aware of who's around me. Or... We have lived in the area for 16 plus years, and to say I am at my wit's end is an understatement. And finally, Dawson used to be such a safe, fun town to grow up in. A minimal crime to the point where when something happened, it was the talk of the town, and everyone was in awe that something crazy happened. Not so much anymore. The drugs have always been a thing here, but they weren't run by the people who were so loud and ruthless. I don't personally know anyone in that line of work, but I do know the shift has been hard on everyone. 
We asked Julie what she has been hearing from people in the community in regard to rumor or theories. There's so many things I wouldn't even know where to start. Like it's all day, every day, all day, every day. Somebody you should check here. And I appreciate uh, the locals giving us ideas of where to look because we're not from here. We don't know. We look at maps, but locals will have more insight. So we've been really appreciative of locals that have come up and said, you should check here. You should look here. This is this has happened here and like things like that. But I'm trying not to go down that rabbit hole because I hear things like all day, every day. And I don't want to until I have facts like I'm not just going to like it's just hard. No, I all I know is my son has vanished off the face of the earth and I know people don't just disappear. Uh, I don't think he went willingly. Obviously, he would never leave his son. But I'm not I'm not going to speculate because there's so many different theories out there that people are like, oh, this, oh, this. But like, I don't want I don't know what to tell you guys. I don't have anything that's concrete that I would want to share because everybody seems to have their own idea of what could possibly have happened. My God, if you tried to follow down every rumor or lead, you'd like it's and like I've said since the beginning, we are not investigating. I am not looking to find out myself what happened. Go. I am not looking to go knock on anybody's doors or ask anyone questions. Any information that I receive goes directly to the RCMP. It is given to them, and I let them weed out the truth from the non-truths because that's their job, not mine. I'm not here also to get anyone else hurt. Um, because obviously with the fear of everyone else brings a fear for us, right? Like people are scared. I don't want, I don't want me or my family to be, uh, we don't want to be targets either. I'm not looking get revenge of any kind. Like, I just want people to know that all I'm here for, all we are here for is to find coal. I think what Julie said here is really important. Sometimes it's easy for people to overlook how difficult and overwhelming it is for family and friends or loved ones of a missing person on any given day. They're not only dealing with the fact that someone they love dearly is missing from them, but with people speculating online in comment sections or sending direct messages with all their theories or psychic premonitions of where somebody might be, or even in some cases directly blaming the the victim or the missing person, or openly being suspicious of family members for no real reason other than they read something online. So... It's important to be mindful of what we are saying in online spaces. And I know that that's literally uh, like pushing a rock up a hill. People just say things online constantly. But I think sometimes we just have to ask ourselves, is this comment or message I'm sending helpful? Would it be wiser for me to maybe contact the RCMP or Crime Stoppers with this information rather than overloading a family member with a whole bunch of Uh, theories and um, details that they then have to sift through. Morgan also had similar statements on this topic. She stated, I've heard so many things, I honestly don't know what to believe or not believe. Some of the things we hear just make me sick. People who think it's okay to poke fun at this or try to get money from our family saying that they have coal. We're already going through enough, and if you don't have anything beneficial to say, then don't say anything at all. What I do know is that Cole is a strong and smart man, and he wouldn't be easily scooped up and taken. He would have fought if there was some kind of fight to be had, and they would have heard him. He's loud. Someone would have heard something or seen something. My heart is shattered thinking about how this could end for our family. My stomach is in knots daily. The anxiety is crippling me some days to the point where I can't even move. 
We asked Julie what has been the most frustrating or difficult aspect of organizing searches and getting information. I don't think they're frustrating. Uh, they're emotionally draining. So like the organizing is fine, but when the search days come, like it's, I don't know how to explain it. It's like we're, all of us are like mentally exhausted, emotionally drained, and like we all have like anxiety. Like I don't even know. Like I've never had anxiety in my life, and I find myself like to like feeling super anxious the morning the search starts. Like I'll be happy when tonight is over, but like I don't know why I'll be happy. I'll just feel calmer. I don't know. Like it's the searches itself, excuse me, are not frustrating. Like I've um my brother-in-law is like very he's a volunteer firefighter he's done in, he's, he has incident command training so it's been like legit the logistics stuff he's been like all over it like it's all planned he's done all the mapping like it's been great but like so i wouldn't say that we had a lot of frustration with the search except for getting volunteers from town and just getting continuing to get cold out there and I think my goal with the Facebook group shifted and then I started sharing like Cole's life in hopes of connecting people to Cole. So they connected with him as a human being and not just like being a missing person, like sharing him as a dad and what he was like as a child and like those kinds of things in hopes of like, yeah, making people connect with him so that they always kept him like at the forefront of their minds so that they still knew that Cole was missing. And so they were still checking on the group and sharing and all those kinds of things. Cole Hosack is a young man at the beginning of his adult life. He has hopes and dreams, a big heart, and a son who is eagerly waiting for his father to return home. We asked Julie how Cole's disappearance has impacted the family's life. Oh, it's awful. We just had such a bad year. I'm like laser focused, so I need to be able to like do something. So planning the searches, consistently looking for Cole and planning the next search and talking to the police like keeps me like focused on something so that I'm not like going down the rabbit hole and trying to figure out what happened to him and being like, Oh, what about this? And reading messages saying that he's dead in a ditch somewhere because people are like, I, people want to help. I understand that. And, but like reading that stuff every day and like getting messages every day as helpful. I totally understand people want to help, but sometimes like that stuff gets overwhelming. Um, it's been hard on our family. Like my daughter is super fragile since she lost her son and now losing her best friend. And like, so it's been like, just trying to keep it together for everybody. It was at this point in the call that I told Julie she was really strong for handling everything life had put on her plate. Two young children in the family passing away, her partner being diagnosed with stage four cancer, and now her son going missing. Sometimes it's difficult to fathom how life can throw so much at one person, but Julie says it's not so much about being strong. It's more about not having a choice. I know I feel like people say that. And at the beginning, I hate it when people said, you're so strong. I'm like, no, I just don't have a choice. So I think strength comes from things like this. But I don't think right now I'm strong. I think I'm just doing what I have to do. Because I don't think there's any other choice. Like, there is no other choice. It's I need to find them. So I just need to keep going. And that's just it. And when it's time... I'm sure I'll have moments like I have before. And like, I am a big personal development junkie. So I read and I take seminars and I'm like, I go to therapy and I do all of these kinds of things. So 
I know that I will get through this when it's time for me to get through this. Where right now I'm just trying to make sure that the kids are okay and that well, my parents are elderly and they're like stressed out about this. And like my sister isn't taking it very well. So it's just trying to keep everyone like together, which keeps me together for now, I guess. Here's what Morgan said in response to how Cole's disappearance has impacted her life. When I think about Cole, all I see is a loving, caring, hilarious person with the biggest smile and the loudest laugh. A guy who loves pizza toasts, bug juice, and a good bag of sour Skittles. He can take any situation and turn it into a good one. He's the kind of guy who will make you laugh while you cry. He's a fantastic dad to a three-year-old little boy who's growing like a weed. He has a son, a grandson, a brother, an uncle, a cousin, and a friend. He's my person, quite literally, my soulmate. Cole likes to be the little spoon when we cuddle, needs his back scratched and hair played with to fall asleep, and the same when he wakes up in the morning. He's a kind-hearted man, a suck, if you will. This is part of why this is so hard to understand. Why it's so hard to even try to comprehend the situation. How does something like this happen to him? Why him? Why our family? Our family has had immeasurable loss in the last year. We just need to catch a break. True North True Crime did reach out to Dawson Creek RCMP for a comment, and Staff Sergeant Chris Clark stated, quote, As this is an active and ongoing investigation, we are not in a position to participate at this time. So because this case is relatively new, there are many ways for our listeners to help Julie find her son. First, we will let Julie share how she believes our listeners can help. Definitely sharing Cole's story and joining his Facebook group. We do have a GoFundMe, which is what we're kind of using to fund searches and get like working on getting private investigators, et cetera. All of those kinds of things that we want to put a reward out. And so all of these things are like astronomically expensive. Um, In our scenario, I'm the only one working because my husband is sick. So I'm also not working right now because Cole is missing. So there's just like, no extra income coming in. So like the GoFundMe has been crucial in helping with like some of the food that we didn't get donated, uh, paying for hotel rooms because none of us live here. So when I'm, when we're coming up, there's like my brother, my sister, everybody that's coming to help. And like, so it's just expensive. So the GoFundMe and honestly, just sharing Cole's story and, and just, if you hear anything, sharing that with the police, uh, that's it really. And just keeping him alive until we find him. Like, meaning keeping his story alive until we find him, like in terms of like, keep sharing, like when we share in the groups, uh, those kinds of things. That's really honestly all that we need. So as Julie said, there is a Facebook group named Missing Cole Hosack that we encourage you to join to keep up to date with Cole's case. And if you'd like to get involved in the search for Cole, the Facebook group is a great place to get more information. There's also a GoFundMe that is being used to support the family in traveling back and forth to search for Cole in Dawson Creek, as well as to fund billboards and postering campaigns to increase awareness. And there is hope that they will eventually be able to bring a private investigator on board as well. So if you are able to donate, your donation will be put to good use. We will, of course, as always, link the Facebook group and the GoFundMe in the show notes of this episode. Here's what Morgan had to say about how you can help. If I could say one thing to anyone who knows anything, it's put yourself in our shoes. Imagine living this literal nightmare every single day, just for a second. Imagine it. 
If anyone knows anything, say something. We need answers. It's been almost two excruciating months with next to nothing. His son needs an answer, his mom, dad, his grandparents and brother and sister, me. We all deserve to know what happened, to know who the coward was who decided to take him from us. Why? Before we wrap this episode up, we wanted to share some more words from Julie about her missing son. Julie posted the following to her Facebook on February 5th, 2024. Day 36 of Cole still missing. As I wake up each day, I'm met with the same agonizing reality. Cole is still missing. The passing days have blurred into a haze, and I find myself grappling with the overwhelming uncertainty of how to go on. This harrowing journey has left me feeling lost, empty, and helpless, as if I'm trapped in a never-ending nightmare that I can't seem to wake up from. How can I even fathom the concept of normal when everything I once knew has been shattered? The mundane tasks, the daily routines, they all feel hollow and meaningless. Each moment without him is a constant reminder that life is far from normal. As I watch others carry on with their lives, it feels as though I'm standing still, watching the world move forward while my own existence hangs in limbo. It's an indescribable pain that words can hardly capture. I spend my deep days in thought, thoughts of baby Bentley being robbed of having his dad for the rest of his life, thoughts of my sons navigating life without their brother, thoughts of the future terrify me. How do we possibly move forward without some sort of closure? So many questions without answers. 24-year-old Cole Hosack was last seen at the Lone Star Nightlife establishment in Dawson Creek in the early morning hours of January 1st, 2024, around 12.20 a.m. to be exact. Cole is described as a white male, 5'9", about 150 pounds, with brown hair and brown eyes. He was last seen wearing dark green pants, a green t-shirt, and a black hat with a Boston Red Sox B logo on it. He has a rose tattoo on his right temple, Roman numerals tattoo on his left temple, an owl tattoo on his neck, and a full right arm sleeve. Dawson Creek RCMP are requesting residents of Dawson Creek to check any outdoor areas on their properties, including sheds and under decks due to the inclement weather. Investigators are also requesting anyone with video surveillance that would capture the area of Highway 49 from 8th Street and Alaska Avenue heading eastbound to Spirit River to preserve that video and contact the Dawson Creek RCMP. The Dawson Creek RCMP are actively investigating and are requesting anyone with any information related to the disappearance of Cole Hosack to contact them at 250-784-3700. We would like to thank Julie Hosack for sitting down with us and talking about her son and trusting us with her family's story. We also want to thank Morgan for sharing her experience and all of the people in Dawson Creek who helped shape this episode, including Mayor Darcy Dober. And of course, we want to shout out all of our listeners who brought our attention to this case. If anyone listening to this episode can help bring this family some answers, please do the right thing and go to law enforcement with any information that you have that can help shed some light on where Cole might be. A mother, two brothers, a very young son, and countless others are continuing to suffer not knowing where their loved one is. And to our listeners, thank you all so much for being an amazing audience, and thank you for continuing to support this podcast. Let's help bring Cole Hosack back home to his family. We will be back soon with a new episode, and until then, stay safe, everyone. Stay safe. 
Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.